0: Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. From now to the end of April, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to journey with the disciples up to the cross on Good Friday, and Then from there, the Easter narratives of Luke, some of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. We hope you can join us maybe here online, on this podcast, or even better, in person. We'd we'd love to meet you, so we hope you'd consider joining with us on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can also find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Let's pray again. Lord, uh, this morning uh, we are grateful to gather together in your name and And to be with one another, so many of us probably cooped up throughout the week in ways that we're not used to. And thank you for the gift of this fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the gift of uh, your table, the communion table, the fellowship table, uh, the the table of thanksgiving. Uh, Lord, we pray even as we look at this passage that you would uh, warm our hearts with greater love for you and for this Christian practice that we celebrate week in, week out. Uh, Teach us from your word, we ask. Amen. All right, so the question I want to begin with is, uh, what marks you? You know, what are, what are the things that, that you do that you say, this is, this is me? Or, you know, I, honestly, I think for a lot of us, we can say, what are the clothes that I wear that say, look where I belong, right? Um, I uh, watched a little Jim Gaffigan bit this week. And uh, I had a really good laugh about it. Okay, so I'm going to share it with you. He says, uh, hiking is huge. It's huge. There is hiking clothing. There are clothes for walking outside. I thought all clothing was for walking outside. And there are whole parts of the country, the entire Pacific Northwest where everyone is dressed like there could be an impromptu hike at a moment's notice. Well, I'm going for a coffee, but you never know when a hike might break out. So I'll put on some sturdy shoes and a breathable fleece. He ends it by saying, this joke is brought to you by Patagonia. I mean, I found that so funny. Um, in part because I grew up in the great Pacific Northwest, God's country. And he is spot on, telling you. You find a seat back and you're like, what is going on? Like, whoa, whoa, did I wear the right clothing? But here's the thing. It is not about an impromptu hike. It is about belonging. It's about being part of the scene. You know, it's like the scenester who's like wearing the band t-shirt and the beanie, you know, and the wristband. About belonging, it's you know the hipster who shops at all the right secondhand stores, who does all of the all of the DIY stuff, you know the candles, the house plants, the pottery, the sourdough, all of it. It's about belonging. Uh, you know we're back in the, in the Gospel of Luke. I mentioned last week, we're going to be in Luke through the end of April. We're going to finish up the Gospel of Luke this year after nine years. If you're watching online, that is not nine consecutive years of just preaching Luke. Nine seasons that we've done every year in the Gospel of Luke. Um, The last passage we looked at last week is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's the last sort of longer teaching of Jesus. And really in this passage, it, it begins to shift towards the passion of our Lord, his cross, his crucifixion, and then it will move to his resurrection. But today, we have this passage where Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper. And I want us to sort of sit and say a little bit, like, what is this thing that we do all the time? Because the Lord's Supper, along with baptism, are the marks of being a Christian. Um. The Eucharist, the, the meal of thanksgiving, giving, and, and baptism are, are the liturgical, the practiced acts of Christian faith, of being a Christian. So let me, let me put it this way. like, If you saw somebody who five times a day was knelt down, prostrate, praying towards Mecca, you would rightly say, well, that person's probably Muslim. Um, and if you saw somebody having water be poured over them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, by a minister of the gospel, and then coming and taking bread and wine, you would rightly say, that person is probably a Christian. I mean, think think about this with me for a moment, right? All people, all kinds of people gather together in a sort of euphoric way, in a sort of religious way, semi-religious way at least, singing songs. Um, one of the most sort of re- secular religious experiences of my life was going to an Indigo Girls concert down on the pier in Seattle, perfect sunny day. The sun is setting over the Puget Sound and then beyond over the Olympic Mountains, and we are all just together singing Indigo Girls songs. It was euphoric, right? All kinds of people gather together for stuff like that. Um, i The fact is that all kinds of people gather together and study texts. Book studies abound, right? Um, And frankly, actually, lots of people gather together even to study our holy text, the scriptures, who aren't necessarily Christians. Uh, When I was in Richmond doing college ministry, Uh, There was a semester where I had a Bible study that was studying the parables of Jesus with five guys who were from Saudi Arabia, and they were all devout Muslims. And they were willing to gather together and to say, what does this passage say, and what does it mean to me? Um, All kinds of different people gather together to hear lectures, which in some ways a sermon is similar to a lecture, right? Um, And are benefited from that. And sometimes your life is actually radically changed by that. Um, some of you can think of teachers that you had growing up or professors that really changed your life by their teaching. Um, two weeks ago, I was on Vashon Island where I, where I grew up with my parents. My dad's 70th birthday was two weeks ago. And I went to a church and there I met somebody who actually remembers about 30-ish years ago hearing the Prescott's or meeting them at a Christians in the Visual Arts um, conference and that kind of thing. And he was like, oh, that, they helped shape my understanding of Christian art. Now, the Prescott's don't remember this guy, but he, re- you know, what I'm, my point is this idea of, like, this is not, what, what I'm doing in a way is not just unique to Christian faith, right? But the act of coming and being, having the waters of baptism poured on you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and coming and taking bread, having been consecrated with the words of Christ, this is my body, which is broken for you and wine. This is my blood, which is shed for you are unique marks of Christian faith. They are the unique acts of devotion that sort of says, I belong to Jesus and his people. Um, Some of you may know that in the tradition of this church, which we are a Presbyterian church, um, For many, many years, the act of communion was something that you would do maybe monthly or quarterly, or even in parts of Scotland, which is the, you know, Presbyterian, if you think of Reformation history, Protestant Reformation history, the different parts where the Reformation took hold sort of brought up different traditions, and the Presbyterian tradition comes from Scotland. And it's actually widely known that in actually the Highlands, northern part of Scotland, oftentimes communion would only be celebrated annually, actually. Um, For most of church history, though, whenever Christians gathered together on the Lord's Day, in most traditions, for the greatest amount of church history, when most Christians gathered together on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, which is called the Lord's Day in the New Testament, um, Christians took bread and they took wine. And they were obedient to the Lord who said, do this in remembrance of me. What I am saying is if you want to know the Christian act, it's the Lord's table. It's communion. The fact is, is that the Lord's table brings together all that is right at the very heart of Christian belief. It's the heart of Christian faith. Okay, so we come to this passage in Luke, Luke chapter 22. And uh, I'll be honest that when I, when I was first start, starting to study this passage, one of the things that stood out to me is not what is there, but what isn't there. Um, Let me put it this way. Uh, I wanted to know more about Judas's story. You know, I I mean, okay, it says that, you know, Satan entered him, but how did he connect with the chief priests and the officers? And when was he doing that? I mean, how did the other disciples know? There's all these questions that kind of stir in your mind about that. You don't really get them answered. Uh, I wanted to know a little bit more about this man carrying this jar. You know, um, men did not carry jars of water in the ancient world. That was something that women did. And there's this man doing it. And how is this man, if he's the one that's carrying the jar of water, because he probably was a servant, how in the world does he have a connection to a room large enough for this many people to have a big meal? You know what I mean? Like there's all these questions that like kind of pop into your mind. Some of them are just of interest. And... I mean, some of them are kind of theological. Like, wait, did Jesus know in advance that that man was there? Did he set it up? Or was it just the fact that God is, you know, Jesus is God and he knew what was going on. Uh, you know, there's all these questions that could kind of stir in our minds. Um, what, here's one question I had. Where's Jesus' mother? I mean, we know that Mary is at the foot of the cross. Jesus speaks to her at the foot of the cross. She's in Jerusalem. And Mary has such a huge role. How is she not at the last Passover meal with her son? No. Interestingly absent. Here's a really big one, I think. A huge one, actually. Um, at this dinner, at, at this last supper, um, we know that one of the things that Jesus did is he washed his disciples' feet, this great act of being the servant for them. And we know that he taught them a great deal about the Holy Spirit. The, some of the greatest teachings of the Holy Spirit took place at this meal. And we know that one of Jesus' greatest prayers, certainly his longest prayer that we have in the Gospels, is his high priestly prayer to the Father about uh, Significantly about Christian unity of his disciples. Takes place at this meal. But Luke doesn't mention any of that. All that's found in the gospel of John. And you're like Luke. Why would you not tell us about. All that rich stuff. And those rich acts of service. And the spirit. All of that. Yeah, there's just a lot that's sort of. Astonishingly absent. Um, but. What is here, what's here in this passage, is what Luke is in some ways wanting to say here, sit in this. Let these be the details that you learn from, right? Let me teach you this thing. We gather a whole lot about this Christian, this core Christian practice of Holy Communion by what Luke does give us intentionally. Um, So, what I want us to do this morning, this is kind of a different kind of sermon, is I want to actually just walk through some of the details of this passage, specifically as as it regards to the Lord's Supper. Um, And I want us to sort of ask, like, how does this teach us about the core of Christian faith? Okay? So, I'll start with a really small detail. Look with me. You still have your Bibles open or your app open or whatever, right? Down at verse 10. 10, 11. So He says, uh, He said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. Guest room. Weird detail to begin with. Peter, this is, you know, a pastoral uh, uh, detail. Are you just trying to play with us here? The guest room here is this word, ta kataluma. Probably not familiar with that Greek word. But if you were reading it actually in the Greek, you would have thought, well, the last time I read that word was in Luke chapter 2. There was no room for them in the inn." And that word in is the very same word here as guest room. We have sort of a miracle of sorts, right? There's this large, great room for this big feast that's taking place, this Passover meal. Um, A large room that can fit Jesus and his disciples. Together to eat. A room that's large enough for them to connect, for him to bring these disciples in. Right to welcome people to feed them, um, and right here, what I want to suggest is there's this little detail that God Himself was actually not allowed in for the sake of others being brought in. Right from the very beginning, we see the humility of our Lord, the one who was rich. Second Corinthians tells us, but yet for our sake becomes poor. The one who was estranged, yet for our sake. You know, he was estranged for our sake that we might be welcomed in. Luke is connecting these ideas, even in these small details. He's very attentive to exactly what he's writing. So that we would get this core idea of the gospel, which we have for us at the table. God saying, come in. I was pushed out that you might come in and be at my table and dine with me at my guest room. The Lord's Supper, this also gets at this idea, the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the Lord's incarnation. Right? right? That Even just that word brings us back this idea that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. He came for us. And that is what we celebrate in this act of the bread and the wine. Which brings me to the second thing, and that is simply the bread and the wine. Um, Jesus takes the cup in verse 17, and he give thanks, gives thanks and he gives it to his disciples. Verse 19, he takes the bread, and he gives thanks, and he gives it to his disciples. And by the word, that word, the word in the Greek for give thanks is the word eucharistasis, which is the word that we get for the word Eucharist, right? So the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, those all have scriptural warrant for what we do when we take the bread and the wine. Anyway, Jesus takes bread and wine, which is like the most obvious thing ever for all of us, right? Like, that's what we're talking about, communion, bread, and wine. Um, but it's unbelievably profound. Uh, God actually feeds you spiritually with his very creation. Um, which is to say that at the heart of Christian faith, and this is tied to the idea of the Incarnation, is God affirming his creation. There is no room in Christian faith to, to disregard this world with wood and with other people and with bread and with wine. Because Jesus says, these are the very things that I'm going to feed you with, part of my very creation. You, which is to say, you cannot be a Christian, you cannot at least be a faithful Christian and downplay the glory of creation. God made it, he declares it good, and he even uses it to feed us spiritually. Bread and wine. And here's something that I think, as you contemplate this, this is something else that we see that is a core Christian belief. And that is that bread and wine don't actually just happen. People make them happen. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, bread doesn't just appear like Those, you know, that bread that Jesus took was, you know, that was grain that was farmed and harvested and milled. And uh, there was a baker that baked that. And there there were hands-on kind of things, which is a core Christian belief that God actually uses us for the blessing of the world and for the furtherance of his gospel. Um, God affirms his creation in this bread and wine, but he also affirms the place of human hands. I mean, wine doesn't become wine if it just sits there. By the way, grapes are intended to become wine, you know? Like there's a natural yeast on the outside, and if you crush it, it should become wine. But human, humans actually have to stop it from becoming vinegar, right? Like God is using humans in the blessing of the world and the furtherance of his gospel. It's a core idea to Christian faith. The third thing, a little detail we hear, is this sort of anticipation of his coming. This is something that is... Absolutely core to the Christian idea. Verse 19 again tells us, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering our Lord as we do this and we are desiring his coming. Verse 17 tells us that uh, he will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Um, The Apostle Paul adds, of course, as often as we do this, we uh, we do this until he comes again. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But this meal gets at this other core idea of Christian faith, that we are are being nourished for this long journey of faith, but we are desiring the coming of God. Um, What you could say is the Lord's table is always an Advent meal. right? It's one that looks back on his first coming and forward to his second coming. Uh, It's what we confess in the Creed, that Christ has come, but he will also come again. Right at this table, this core Christian thought is for us. Okay, another little detail that uh, is maybe not as clear. And this detail I'm just going to call the "use," Which gets at one of the things that's tricky about studying your Bible. Is because a lot of times when we read you, we think that the Bible is just talking to me. And it almost is, it's very rarely doing so. Um. All of the uses here are plural when Jesus is talking. Um, which means that it would be helpful if the people that translate the Bible were from the south, right? Because this is what it's actually is saying. Verse 15. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with y'all before I suffer. For I tell y'all, it will not, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. This is my body which is given for y'all. Y'all do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup that's poured out for y'all. It's the, it's the new covenant in my blood. Right at the heart of Christian faith, is this, this is a communal thing. There is no isolated Christian. Okay? You cannot do Christianity outside the context of the church. Okay, The church is God's primary plan for the sanctification of Christians. This is not something that you are to do by yourself just out in the woods, right? I mean, Christianity is a communal faith. Um, you know, I know there's lots of different ways that people practice communion. And the fact is, is that the scriptures don't just write it all down for us. Like, here, make sure you do it exactly this way. You know, use these kinds of trays or what, you know. Um, There's different ways that people practice communion, but part of the reason why we use one loaf and actually we offer one cup, partly is because the one cup, the one bread and the one cup are mentioned for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Jesus takes the cup and gives it to his disciples and the bread and gives it, you know. Um, But partly why we do this is to just highlight this is a communal meal. We are one body, Right? the first Corinthians passage that was very short, Donna, I appreciate how you highlighted that very short. It said this, the cup of blessing that we bless the cup of blessing. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It is that the bread that we, right? That we, this is a communal thing, but to say that the, 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 the table of our Lord gets, again, at this core Christian belief that we are in fellowship with God. And because we are in fellowship with God, we are in fellowship with one another. This is a communion table, table of Christian fellowship. And the and, and core to Christian belief is that we are in this life together as one body, bound together in the work of Jesus. I want to highlight another uh, detail here that may seem small. But I think it's significant. And again, I, I, the, the words of scripture are never to be glossed over so they don't Im, uh, have meaning to them. This is the word do. Again, this is a pretty obvious one, just like bread and wine. But Jesus tells them, do this in remembrance of me. Um, you may know this the theology of what is happening in the Lord's Supper is one of the things in Christian history that has been debated time and again. And it really marks out sort of one Christian tra- tradition from another Christian tradition. In fact, uh, one of the sad parts about the Protestant Reformation is that the divide between the reformed churches of France and Holland and England and Scotland and all that, they were divided in Germany, part of Germany, they were divided from the Lutheran churches, largely in Germany and, You know, parts of northern Switzerland, um, which are modern day states that didn't even quite exist at that time. But the big divide was that Luther said, y'all don't understand this right. Jesus said, hoc est corpus meum, this is my body. And there was all this debate about all that. And while I do actually think it is good and right for Christians to ponder these deep theological questions, it's also very sad that this thing that was to be the symbol of Christian fellowship actually has largely become a a symbol of Christian division. Because it's remarkable that Jesus does not say this. Think on this in remembrance of me. Argue over this in remembrance of me. Contemplate this in remembrance of me. Instead, Jesus says, do this together. Y'all do this in remembrance of me. Beyond this communion is the the great reminder that while while Christianity is a faith of the heart and of the mind, and it invites us to give our intellect and our desires and our whole being to God, this is also a, a religion where God says, I want you to participate. To actively be present and to do, to use your hands to take, to use your body to drink, to use your hands to bless the world. Use your feet to be my feet in your neighborhoods, to be my presence in this world. This is a doing faith also. It's a participation in the things of God and the presence of God. All right, I know some of y'all are thinking, like, some of these details are strange. <laughs> Jesus mentioning. do? Let me, let me just sort of end with the big, big detail that all of you are seeing probably more clearly and wondering why I haven't said this. And that is this. This happens on Passover. Uh, I think it's astounding that Luke and the other uh, synoptic gospel writers, uh, Mark and uh, Matthew don't highlight Jesus' high priestly prayer or the teachings regarding the Holy Spirit on, in, at this event or the, the washing of his disciples' feet. But what they all highlight is this detail that Luke says again and again and that this takes place on the Passover. It's really a reforming of this greatest meal of Israelite history and practice. Right at the very beginning of our passage. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. By the way, if if you read commentaries, some of them will say, well, Luke doesn't even know what he's talking about. The Passover is not called the feast of unleavened bread. Those were two distinct things. The feast took place for a week, the Passover for a day, but they were so connected that you could call one one and one the other. You know this in, in other areas of your life. Um. But he's highlighting for us, right when he begins this passage, this is taking place on the Passover. If you go to the next section, the next part that begins in verse 7, it says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And then that section actually ends for us. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. It's just, it's saying it again and again. Do you know when this is happening? Do you know what's going on? And then the next section, this is how the next section begins, verse 14. And and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Uh, Luke is sort of shouting this for us, right? Don't let this get lost on you. It's the Passover. What he's saying is this is the new Passover meal. This is the meal of your salvation. And now if the Passover for you is something you're like, I don't even, what are you talking about? The Passover was the meal that Jews were supposed to do in remembrance of this great thing that God saved them from slavery in Egypt and brought them to himself. It is the meal that said, I'm an Israelite. I mean, you know, if, if we got into the, some of the details of Exodus chapter 12, you'd, you'd see that the, this meal, you can't just, nobody can just do this, you know, uh, if they want to. They actually have to, in the Old Testament, if you were male, you would have to be circumcised before coming to that table. Which is why we say you actually you have to be baptized before coming to the Lord's Supper, um, among other reasons. But this was the defining meal of the people of God in the Old Testament. It was the meal that said, this is what God does for us. He saves us in our, in our state where we couldn't do anything. You know, we were bound in sin and slavery. And yet God brought us out in his grace. What was to take place, we heard some of it uh, when Don read for us. Um, they were to take a spotless lamb. A lamb with no blemishes. Nothing found that was wrong with this lamb. And they were to kill it and they were to put the blood on the two posts and over the door to their house. And then the the angel of the Lord came. And if that blood was over your door, you did not die, but you were saved. And which is to say that even in that history of God's people in that story, they were were to believe, you know what? I actually, my sin does deserve death, but only because of the work of God. Only because something else has died in my place do I have salvation and freedom and new life. And Jesus is saying, this long practice, this long belief in what took place in the Passover is now totally reworked around me because it's not a lamb that is slain. It is my body, which is broken, my blood, which is shed. If you want one thing to define you from now on, it is me. It's not that old story. It is my story that defines you. Jesus is saying there's now a new meal because there's even a greater salvation. There's a greater freedom from slavery. I'm the one who's broken. I'm the one who's shed. I'm the perfect spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So what we do when we come together, right? When we celebrate this meal, we are saying, this is what defines me. This is who I am. What we celebrate here are these truths that are at the heart of Christi- Christianity. That you know, while our sin is great, God's grace is so much greater. That while we were once slaves, we've been brought near. While we were once estranged, we've been brought into this new guest house, right? this new guest room, this inn. Here we celebrate that, that God uses this world for the blessing of our salvation, that he invites us into the community of faith. All of these things are contained right at this table that, are, that make up the heart of our Christian faith. This act that we do every week, this remembrance of Christ's broken body and shed blood, is the Christian act. So, what did I say at the beginning was the point of wearing Patagonia fleece, right? Belonging. You know, look what community I exist within. In doing this in remembrance of Jesus, in coming to this table week in, week out, we are saying, I belong to Jesus. I have been forgiven. Because Christ died, I live. I belong to the body of Christ. We're singing, saying, I belong to this, to this God who gives of himself, to this God who welcomes me and uses this world, this God who took on flesh, this God who invites me into his family. We're confessing that it's not because of anything we do, but only because of the death of Christ that we are free. That is what you're confessing. Each week when you get out of your pew and you come forward, which by the way, part of the reason why we do that is because Jesus does say do, and our temptation is just to say, I just need to think, Um, but you need to act. But this is what we're doing each week. We're saying, I belong to the people that confess that God died for me. That's the Christian message. Jesus died for you when you were far off, when you were a slave to sin, and he gives you freedom because his blood was shed and his body was broken. That is what it means to be a Christian. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this act that we do week in and week out that affirms the the beauty and the goodness of your creation. And human hands and human agency, and your great grace. God, I pray that we would be in awe of this ritual act that we do in remembrance of you. And that you would feed us spiritually in this act of faithfulness for the long journey as we wait for your return. How we bless you this morning. We thank you that you are with us, you are among us. We pray that you would feed us even now, soon as we come to this table, as you have fed us through your word. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.